Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. If you would take your copy of God's Word, join me in the fourth chapter of Proverbs. Uh, We're going to do some deep diving into the Word of God today uh, in the middle of a series that we began about four weeks ago entitled Building Warriors. And the premise of that was Psalm 127, which tells us that children are a gift and an heritage to the Lord and like arrows in the hands of a warrior. That's what our children are. Our aim is to get them rightly settled in the bow and to send them sailing out into the world for the glory of God and for their greater joy. And so we've been asking the question over the last several weeks, what does that look like? What does it look like when they're a smaller child, when they're throwing up on you as a baby and pooping their pants? What does it look like when they're teenagers and they get snarky and all of you? We covered all that last week. Today, we're going to start broadening our perspective a little bit. And I want to ask this broad question, what is it exactly that we want to leave behind for our kids? Now, the term that's usually employed in this context is the word inheritance. What do you, some of you are older and you're probably thinking more acutely about that than those of you that are younger, but all of us have some thought if we're holding a baby or we're looking at a teen or we're about to send a kid off to college, we have this thought of what it is that we're going to be able to leave behind for them. And that's a good thing. That's a healthy thing. In fact, the scriptures tell us the following in Proverbs chapter 13. A good man leaves an inheritance, not just to his children, but to his children's children. That there's something healthy about wanting to leave this behind. And normally, we think about this in terms of material wealth, real estate. Another term for this is the term legacy. Best I understand the legal profession, that term's still narrowly defined as tangible assets. So when Amy and I pass away, our children will get real estate and automobiles and liquid assets and whatever we have. And, you know, 58 Bibles because their dad's a pastor. Uh, you know, those are the kinds of things that we're going to get. Um, and that's, that's not a bad thing to think about it in that term. But when our culture hears the word legacy, they don't tend to apply that strict of a definition to it. They tend to think more broadly. And that's what I want us to do today. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about more specific principles, raising our children. What, is it, how, what does it mean to teach them about money, to teach them about sex, to teach them about relationships, to teach them about their work ethic? How do they stand up and stand out and truly be separated from the world uh, as the adults that they are going to hopefully, by God's grace, emerge into? And, and also, what should your disposition be if you're one of those parents who's sitting there and your heart is broken because it just didn't seem to work? You've got an adult child in their 20s or perhaps in their 30s, and they've not taken the path that you envisioned for them, and you're wondering what you did wrong. Um, And I don't don't know the ultimate answer to that question, but until we get there, let me try to ease your minds as your pastor by just saying maybe nothing. Maybe nothing. But we're going to look at that in particular. Uh, when, When does it not work? None of those things, though, really mean a whole lot if they're not connected to a broader end. So here's the big question. What is the most important thing you can leave behind for your children. The most, like the thing that's at the top of the list. And here's what I want to submit to you, that the word of the Lord would say, the most important thing you can leave your children is godly wisdom. 
That's the most important thing you can leave behind. Because all the money in the world can be easily wasted away to bankruptcy without wisdom. The best lot in the subdivision can go to foreclosure rather quickly without wisdom. And so the question is, how do you leave wisdom? Because leaving money is really not all that hard, is it? I mean, even if it's just a little bit, we're all at different income levels, and I, I, I understand that. But, but for most of us, we can just instruct our bank to, you know, $5 a week or $50 a week or whatever we're able to afford, and it just gets automatically drafted out of our joint checking account, and it goes into a 529 for college, or it goes into a, some other kind of account, and our kid's going to get that at some point. We've got plans for that money, and it surrounds our children. And, and, and for most of us, we have the means that, that it, to differing amounts, to be sure, but we can, we can do that for our children almost without even thinking about it. What we're talking about today is a little harder, isn't it? How do I leave wisdom to my child? And I'm going to suggest to you that the fourth proverb contains the following principles. Number one, you have to embody that wisdom yourself because they will in all likelihood do what they see you do rather than what that you tell them to do. Secondly, you need to teach them and repeat repeatedly teach them the value of wisdom. And then finally, you need to teach them to do the same thing to their children that you are doing to them. And that is to simply pass it on. So, so let's take those principles together as we're moving through the fourth chapter of Proverbs today, beginning with this one. If I'm going to pass wisdom down to my children, I need to embody it. Let's take a look at verses one to nine. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and he said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. Now wisdom is becoming personified as a woman. If you don't forsake her, she will keep you Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you will embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. The big idea here, nothing is more important than wisdom. And when you find this word in a thesaurus, there are other kinds of terms that tend to get attached to it, like skill, administration, shrewdness, which we talked about some months ago, prudence, ethics. And all of that really comes under the umbrella of wisdom, because wisdom is the ability to take all of those other subcategories and treat them rightly and treat them in a godly fashion in themselves, but also to combine them and coalesce them in a way that your life is better than it otherwise would be. All that balled up means you're a wise person. Knowledge, experience, sound judgment are combined, and when, they, when those things are combined, your child will have the following things. First off, they'll have protection and preservation from danger. Verse 6 says, she will keep you. She will guard you. So whether they're driving, whether they're going to a party, whether somebody's trying to shove a substance into their face, wisdom can keep them on a path that might even preserve their life and certainly will give them a greater degree of health. Secondly, they develop discernment, get insight, verse 7 says. The ability to actually be able to size up a situation and know what is light and what is darkness and know what is truth and what is a lie. Thirdly, maturity, wisdom, 
Solomon says, will exalt you in verse 8. And the content of, of it, the context here is one of childbearing, child rearing. And it means you will be raised up. Not, not just that, that wisdom will exalt you to the point that you'll have a great name, but you will become mature as a result of that. And then finally, honor. Verse 9 says, she will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. All of these things are available to you. They're available to our children if we can simply embody them. How many of you have ever wanted to give your child something, but, but maybe you couldn't? Maybe it was financial, and you just couldn't afford to do it. Uh, and it could have been something like a trip to Disney or something like that. I mean, man, I love seeing all these pictures on social media. I wish I could take my kids there, but, but just the, there's a limitation and that limitation tends to reside in your wallet. And it's just, you're having a hard time getting them there. For some of you, it might even be a little bit more serious. My child needs some medical attention. And it's not necessarily life-threatening, but it's something that could affect their quality of life. But I don't, I don't have access to that. I, I want to be able to provide them that kind of thing. And for some of you, it might even just be a wisdom thing. When I was in high school, my father and I walked onto a car lot and looked at a brand new 1987 Mustang GT. 302, dual exhaust, five-speed manual transmission, 400-plus horsepower, and this, this boy wanted it. And my father had a really good poker face, and so we walked off the lot, his teenage son pouting. And years later, when I was, when I was in my 20s, he recollected that story, and he said, son, I, I, I really wanted you to have that. You have no idea how badly I wanted to sign those papers and see you drive off the lot with that but I had seen you drive. <laughs> and I see that glimmer in your eye when both the tachometer and the speedometer are in the red. And I would have never forgiven myself if you'd gone out and gotten killed. So he said, no. There's times we want to give our kids something, but there's some kind of limitation that, that keeps that from happening. And here's what I want you to hear. There is a way, according to the Word of God, for you to place on a silver platter, no matter the thickness of your bank account or even the level of wisdom that you have or that your child has, there's a way by God's grace that you can take honor, maturity, discernment, greater protection from danger, all the things that come from wisdom, put them on a silver platter and give all of those things to your kid. And to boot, Scripture says there's nothing more important that you can give to your kid. Now, they might choose to reject it, but that doesn't mean you don't have full opportunity to put that right in front of them. But in order to do it, you have to embody that wisdom yourself. Notice verse 2, Solomon says, do not forsake my teaching. Verse 4, hold fast to my words. Verse 5, from the words of my mouth. You see the pattern here? The, the writer presumes that what his son needs in terms of wisdom can be provided by his father. Some of you may not believe you have that capacity. I don't know if I can give my, my child that kind of wisdom. The Word of God says you absolutely can. Pass that wisdom down to your child. And I get it. That's an audacious claim, isn't it? And yet, that's what the Scriptures teach. If you're a parent, a grandparent, a foster parent, have responsibility at any level for a minor child in your life, the presumption of these nine verses is that they can get what they need in this department from you. You can be that person who imparts to them the very wisdom of God, but you can't pass down 
what you don't have. And that brings me back to the question, do, do you embody this wisdom? We, we see these words in, in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Take a look at Paul's words to the church at Corinth. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, in case you're unfamiliar with the context, Paul is speaking that to a bunch of brand new converts in one of the most immoral cities in Asia. They don't know anything about Christian faith. They know Jesus, and that's all they know, which means they know enough that by God's grace, they are now his brothers and sisters, but they don't know nearly enough to live this life out to its full capacity, and they had no idea as a result how to live free, monetarily, sexually, relationships-wise, their marriage. They didn't even know how to worship together. And so Paul is writing this piece of instruction to teach them what that looks like. And then in the middle of all of that, he says, you know, just watch me. And that's the question that I have for you. Can you say that in regard to your children? Some of you don't have children. And I addressed some of that last week that, that we, we weep with you. And, and we, are, we are sorry for that. And, and we, we want to be here for you. But you are surrounded by children on this campus. Are you able to say to the kids running around here, just watch me? Just imitate me. You think about the world we live in today. It's a lot like Corinth. We have mass moral, spiritual, and ethical confusion. Where will your children look for clarity? Will it be to you? And all of this, by the way, starts in right relationship to God. In this same letter, Paul says the following in 1 Corinthians 1, those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This starts by repenting of your sins, by putting your faith solely, completely, and in no other thing but in a bloody cross and an empty tomb. That's where it starts. And then from there, godly wisdom begins to grow, and you can then begin to impart these things to your children. And as we get deeper into this text, we're going to see that there, there are two paths our children can take. And as we move through it together, I want you to ask yourself, which path does my kids see me walking on? Because here's a scary thought. Whatever you're doing, however you're spending your money, however you're relating to your spouse, however you're talking about other people, however you're handling conflict, the, the rawest example of all of that is occurring within your own home, under your own roof, and your kids are watching. And to them, even if it's dysfunctional and sinful, it looks normal because mom and dad are doing it. If you gossip, it's probably going to happen. If you abuse your spouse, it's probably going to happen in the next generation. If you abuse substances, it's probably going to happen in the next generation. You know why? Because the kid grows up just thinking this is the way it is. They're not living in other, other people's homes. They're living in yours. So what's normal to your child? And which path does my kid see me walking on? I got to tell you, in 27 years of ministry, I've probably counseled more than 200 young men who were hooked on pornography, and almost without exception, they would tell me, I either found my dad's stash because he was a coward and he hid it, or he was a barbarian and he purposefully introduced me to it. I'll never forget one guy who just completely gotten wrapped up in this. He was spending eight hours a day looking at porn on the internet. He said, my first introduction to pornography was when I was 17 years old, and my dad snuck me into a strip club, even though I was underage. What are we teaching our kids by our behaviors? What, are, are they growing up thinking that what goes on in your, of course, they're growing up thinking what goes on in your house is normal, but is it really normal? 
Is this really what God wants for them? I counsel with, I don't know how many people who struggle with addictions to alcohol or some other substance. Well, it's how my father coped. It's what my mother did. Multiple people with anger issues. That's how my mom handled things. She just blew her stack. She'd always go back and apologize. Never quite repented and made it right and stopped the behavior. What kind of behavior are our children seeing in our homes? Which path are you walking? Several weeks ago, Pastor Chris Walls introduced our brand new year by, by helping us delve into the first psalm. I want to put the first three verses up here for you and remind you of what he covered. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither, and in all he does, he prospers. Those three verses describe a man that has made a clear decision which path to avoid and which path not only to take, but to advocate for the next generation. In all likelihood, one day, your kids are going to bury you. One day, my kids are going to bury me. And when I read this psalm, it, it haunts me a little bit, but it also gives me something to shoot for. I want my children to be able to stand over my grave and read these words and say, that was our daddy. Is that what you're shooting for? Is it? Let, let me encourage you today. You can be that parent. You can be that grandparent. You can be that foster parent. You can be that person who simultaneously says, follow my words and watch my walk. That's a person that can embody the wisdom of Jesus Christ. And then, having embodied it, you can teach them the value of that wisdom for their own lives. Take a look at verses 10 to 19. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. And so there is great encouragement and great warning in these passages. And all of it grounded not in a list of do's and don'ts, but in, in the pursuit of godly wisdom. You know why that is? It's because there's a lot of nuance in life. I mean, we're followers of Jesus. We're a word-based community. We believe that God revealed himself, not only in the person of work and, and work of Jesus, but through Jesus and reveals Jesus in the written word. And so obviously there are things that are black and white. There are things that are right and wrong. There are things that where there is very clear truth and error. But, but even though our theology is black and white, can we just admit our lives are in technicolor, aren't they? 
And there's a lot of nuance in life, and there are decisions where there's no clear right or wrong, and your child, as well as you, as well as me, we need godly wisdom to be able to make the right choices. Overall, you tend to make the wisest decisions when those moments come if you're walking on the right path to begin with. And this is why you have to teach your children. I have to teach my kids walk in wisdom, pursue wisdom above all other things so that you can continue to ensure that you're walking on the right path. And scripture is full of that metaphor, by the way. In fact, Jesus mentions two different paths in Matthew 7. He says to make sure that you enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way, the path, the road is easy that leads to destruction. It's a six lane interstate with nobody on it. Actually, there's a lot of people on it, but there's room for everybody. And those who enter by it are many. And then there is a gate that is narrow and a way that is hard, a country road that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Make sure you're on the right path. You know, it's funny, um, as I think about my experience as a father, and some of you, have, you're at the same stage of life as I am, and you're having this experience now. Some of you have raised your kids, you've already had it. Some of you have younger kids, and this isn't even going to enter your consciousness, but I promise you this moment is coming about two weeks from now, okay? How many of you remember teaching your first kid how to drive? Yeah, that was an adventure, wasn't it? How many of you remember the first time after they actually got their license and it was legal for them to drive without you, watching them back out of the driveway, watching them go down to the end of your road, watching them turn left, not that this is a total recollection of what I remember, until they're out of your line of sight, driving something that weighs at least 3,000 pounds and is made out of all kinds of hardened metal and steel that travels 50 times faster than any normal human being was ever supposed to travel and powered by rapid explosions. You know, the word car just seems very innocuous, doesn't it? It's a 3,000-pound metal machine powered by explosions. The minute your kid gets out of your line of sight, what are you thinking? I can tell you what I was thinking. Keep hold of instruction. The same thing that Solomon just told his son. Don't forget what I taught you. All right. Don't turn the radio up and put your earbuds in and start playing with your phone. All right. Don't get a bunch of your dopey friends in the car and be, you know, telling knock-knock jokes or whatever, not paying attention. You're concerned about that, aren't you? It obsesses you because you want them to stay on the right path and the side of the road and the ditch is not the right path. A tree is not the right path. Another car is not the right path. And some of you have equal concern over your kids because it, maybe it's not their driving skill, but there's certain parts of town. You know, we live in an area that where it's, it's not all Mayberry here in the tri-state area, is it? There's certain parts of, of Hagerstown. There's certain parts of, of Martinsburg that that you just say, don't stay out of there, all right? Are you coming home? Yeah, all right, well, I want you to come this way. I want you to stay away from this part of town. Here's my question. Are we equally as vigilant as parents to give them the instruction that we find in verse 14? Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Let, let me just ask it bluntly. 
are you at least as afraid that your child might go to hell as you are that they might go to Martinsburg? That really is the question, isn't it? I want my children on a wide path. What path are they on right now? You know, recent Barna research on Gen Z, which is the emerging generation now, it's our youth. Anybody born after 1998? And it tells us that a couple of different things. Number one, and if you've got smaller children, this should bring you some comfort. Traffic fatalities and sexually transmitted diseases are way, way down with this generation. Now, some of them aren't driving and they haven't hit puberty yet, so we'll see, right? But among the teenagers, even, when you, when you close the control group to that amount, STDs and traffic accidents, particularly violent ones that end in somebody getting killed, they're way, way down. That, we should be thankful for that. that. That's no small thing. Those are the kinds of risks when I was a teen that our generation took, which is why those stats were way, way up. But where those things are way, way down, what is way, way up with this generation tends to be less physical and more mental. Mental breakdown, suicide, suicide attempts, other forms of mental illness, social dysfunction, all of that's up. And there's a correlation between those things and these things. Okay? Now, I own one, so they're not evil. I'm not telling you that they're evil. But it happens when they're on their phones. Recovery experts talk about middle circle activity. Is it wrong for me to pull out my phone? Well, it might be now. I'm preaching. Pay attention. <laughs> but if I pull out my phone and automatically it triggers me to go somewhere else, that might be something I don't need to do. It's okay to be on your phone. It's all right to play Fortnite. It's like, that's, that's fine. But if those things repeatedly become addictive or they lead to darker things, I have to avoid that too. And that is the, the intention of the metaphor here in Proverbs 4. Avoid this path because it's going to take you somewhere dark. There may not be anything inherently wrong with turning left instead of right, but if you find that every time you turn left, you end up high and you can't find your pants, maybe you should stop turning left. Think about an exit ramp along the highway. Okay, we were coming back from the Gulf Coast one year on a mission trip, and we got somewhere south of Atlanta, and one of my children, I would tell you who it was, but I don't want to embarrass Gracie, <laughs> had to go to the bathroom, and it wasn't one of those things where it could wait, and we were not in a good spot. Road construction, like, you've been there, haven't you? Like, why do you choose the most inopportune time to pee? Why, why, why? One exit we found, one gas station. You, you know what they say about how competition breeds excellence? There was no competition with this gas station. You ever sat in a bathroom doing your business with your eyes this big, thinking to yourself, someone has been murdered in here. I just know it. I just know it. It looks like the set of one of the Saw movies. It's just awful. And, and, and so we... We came out, and, and I told Mrs. Rainey, I said, let's make a note of this exit number so that we never come back here again. I'm telling you, the guy behind the counter that sold me my chewing gum, I think he would have done voodoo as well if I'd asked him to. It was weird. Warn your children 
about taking the right path. That's the point here. Okay? Uh, this father is in this proverb issuing that warning to his child. Watch that exit ramp. Watch this Watch this direction. In a fallen world, there are multiple paths that look innocent enough, but they will lead to destruction. And the description of the end of that path here, in case you didn't notice when we read it, it's incredibly graphic. The father is warning the son, this is the kind of person you will become. In verse 16, he says, you're, you're going to be the kind of person, if you take those wrong paths consistently, you're going to be the kind of person that makes other people stumble, that brings other people down just so you can feel good about yourself. Verse 17, he says, you're going to be the kind of person who's given to all manner of wickedness, including violence. And then in verse 19, he says, you're going to be clueless about all this. In fact, you're going to be so in the dark, you're not even going to realize you're in the dark. You won't even be able to understand the consequences of some of your own evil actions. And some of you are thinking of your four-year-old right now who's in Kidman, or your, your fifth grader who's in Kidman, and you're going, I, yeah, not my kid. I can't envision my sweet little kid. Pastor, have you seen their most recent school pictures? I mean, they're just cute. Yeah, let me show you a couple of other cute school pictures here. They look cute enough, don't they? I forget what grade they were in, but, um, but if you want to know who they are, the, the, the young man on the left is R. Kelly, who's just been indicted for the sexual assault of multiple women. And by the way, I don't know why our culture is surprised by that. If you just listen to his vile lyrics, that dude told us who he was years ago. The one, and, and, so what is that? Well, you, you got a guy who spent years thinking this is okay. Who spent years being let off the hook. Because after all, he's R. Kelly. And the result is that he consistently takes the wrong path until he becomes the wrong kind of person. What about this kid on the right? That kid on the right is Adam Lanza. Just a few years from that picture, he will load his mother's AR-15, walk into the Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut, and murder over 20 children, most of them first graders. Easy access to high-capacity violent weapons combined with repeated desensitization to violence by his parents. And eventually, he begins to be the person who takes repeatedly the wrong kind of path until he becomes the wrong kind of person. Here's my point. We all start out cute and deadly. You don't see the deadly part because we're so cute. But you need to warn your children, and I need to warn my children, to stay off that wide path that leads to destruction. Bring them regularly here, and don't give them a choice in the matter. Urge them toward wisdom, even as you model it for them in your own life. Help them see the value it brings so that they avoid the broad path. But then here's the, the final thing. Don't just warn them against the bad, okay? Because otherwise... You're going to be like a fire alarm that goes off in the middle of the night that doesn't really mean anything. First church that we ever planted, one of the agreements I had with our, with our landlord, it's one of the reasons we got the, we got the building so cheap. And I was so clueless as a young 29-year-old church planner, I just signed it. I said, yeah, I'll do that. Gosh, we're getting the building that cheap? I'll be glad to do that. 
The requirement was, if the alarm goes off, I respond. I should have never signed that document. I mean, a bird could fly within 50 yards of that building and that thing would go off. And it always seemed to fly at 3 a.m. Eventually, it goes off so often that you don't even, you're just like, nothing's wrong. Right? There's nothing wrong. If you're the kind of parent that's continually watch this, watch this, watch that, watch that, without giving them a clear and positive understanding of who in Christ God intended them to be, if they don't hear more positive than negative out of you, you're going to be like that alarm. And by the time they become teenagers, they're going to be, there's mom again, there she goes again, there goes dad again, there's you know, with another, and, and they're, the teens are upstairs this week. They're going to kind of have a point. So, so we need to do more than just warn them of the broad path. Truly, we need to warn them. We just saw the graphic warnings. We just saw the visceral description of what this man believed his son could become because he is, after all, his father's son. But we need to do something else. Don't just teach them to avoid the bad. Teach them to embrace the good and teach them to pass it on. Look at verses 21 and following. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them. Here's the other side. You see this? And healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all of your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Five things this straight path leads to. The first one is physical health. Verse 22, they are life to those who find them. They are healing to all their flesh. You want to live longer? You want to live healthier? How are you coaching up your kids about their diet, their exercise, all those kind of things? Can I go ahead and mention something else that's going to get me in trouble? Energy drinks? Really? Hear these words from a preacher who grew up in a denominational tradition that taught me that any form of alcohol is a sin. If you've got to choose between Budweiser and Rockstar, Budweiser's healthier. I'm serious. I mean, we just, no question, just, well, it's on the shelf. It must be safe. You have any idea what this stuff does to your insides? And then, of course, there's this, um, there's this issue I brought up last week, sex which makes everybody nervous. Parents get nervous. Kids get nervous. Everybody turns red. But we have to have these conversations. And see, here's the thing. It's, you can't just warn them against the bad, although there is bad out there. This is one of the most sexually broken cultures in the history of the world, probably within the last 1,000 years. Okay? And I could go back and I could, I could show you civilizations that are worse off than we are right now in the, in the Department of Sex, but there won't be many of them. There really won't. Uh, so what do you do? And we're all adults in here. This is going to shock you, but what, what do you do when you find a condom in your teenage son's room? What do you do? Is this church? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. 
Do you warn them? Yeah, you do. You warn them that, you know, you might protect yourself from something physically, but psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, there's a lot more in play here. But you know what else you do? Hey, son, you know, if you'll do this God's way, you won't need that thing. You get where I'm going with this? There's a bad path that leads to destruction. There is a, there is a, a, a good path guided by principles of wisdom that leads to life. And, and you've got to have honest, raw conversations with your children and let them know you will live longer, you will be healthier in every other way if you will simply follow God's plan for this. Wisdom does not guarantee good physical health, but it sure makes it a whole lot more likely. Let me tell you something else it makes likely that your child will grow up to walk in truth. Verse 24 again says, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. You never have to be caught in a lie or worry about being caught in a lie if you'll just walk in the truth. Walk in integrity. Teach your children. Listen, we're going to deal with the cyberbullying if it happens, but rumors and gossip cannot hurt you if you're not really that person. You may suffer some wounds, but you will never be totally destroyed by that stuff if reasonable people have watched you and you've actually walked integrity in integrity and they compare the actuality of your life with the narrative that's being spun about you and they go, dude walks in the truth. That's all a lie. Walking in the truth helps when there's consistency in that walk. No deception means I can live free of fear. Thirdly, focus. How many of you think your children need focus right now? Let your eyes, verse 25, look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. We live in a world of smartphones, 24-hour news, social media, pop-up ads. Distractions are all over the place. They're not hard to find. Wisdom will help keep your child from getting off track because it keeps them focused on the right things, and it does so because wisdom also will encourage sober-mindedness. Verse 26, ponder the path of your feet. Then all, the ways will, all your ways will be sure. Think before you move before you speak, before you act. you got to be self-aware. That's why we did nine weeks on self-awareness in the fall. It's a spiritual issue. It's a biblical issue. A grounded person who understands themselves and how God's uniquely wired them, but also understands their sinful propensities, they're not going to be swayed to believe either the best or the worst about themselves. You, I don't know if you can imagine this or not, but I've been here, I'm in my fourth year now. And there have been people, since I have become pastor here, who think I'm the Antichrist. And then there have been other people who think I'm a better preacher than Billy Graham. And the truth is, I'm neither one. I'm just a dude. I put my pants on the same way you do, and y'all been so good to me while my wife's been gone, they were a little harder to get on this morning. Don't believe your own press. Don't believe all the wonderful things. Don't believe it. Be grounded. That requires sober-mindedness, and sober-mindedness requires wisdom. And then finally, consistency. Verse 27, do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot away from evil. You ever have, any of you have one of those kids? Like they woke up this morning, came down the hall with a plastic fireman's hat on? And then by tonight, they're going to be wearing a billy stick and a gun and a badge because they want to be a cop. And then by Tuesday, they want to be a doctor 
And then they watched the news with you, so now they want to be president? All in the same week? That's okay when you're seven, eight, nine. When you're 17, that's a problem. Imparting godly wisdom to your child means as they get older, they're going to develop consistency, and that way they won't spend eight years in college unless they plan on being a doctor. Okay? Wisdom imparted, accepted, and lived out in the early years, it won't just keep them from evil. It will ensure that they don't drift. I read these verses weeks ago getting started for the, in prep for this message, and I thought, these are, Lord, these are, these are exactly the characteristics I want to see in my, in my children. Not just for their own good, but for the good of my, of my grandchildren. These are characteristics that will, will replicate wisdom in the next generation. A good man, a godly man, gives an inheritance to his children's children. I, my responsibility as I think about the greatest inheritance is not just to the kids that are growing up into my house, but the ones who haven't been born yet, to them and to their spouses. And what, what will I do to make sure that I, I leave them? It doesn't mean that, that they're always going to capture it, but what am I doing? Am I fulfilling my responsibility as a father to pass down wisdom? These are the things you need to ask yourself. Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? And make sure you measure the right things here, okay? Because some of you, your kid went the wrong direction, and the only thing you see is the result. Well, you're measuring your child. And your child is his or her own hum unique human being. You, you, if you gave them everything and they rejected it, that's not on you. You shouldn't wear the weight for that. Don't measure your child. Well, I can't believe I did all this and I was faithful and where was God? Well, now you're measuring God and he don't like to be measured. Measure yourself. Look internally and ask yourself, am I embodying in my home what I want my children to see as normal and healthy and good and godly. My body, and you won't get it all right, okay? None of us do. None of us do. But are you seeking to do that? Is that constantly on your mind? Do you guard them from what is dangerous to their soul, and do you encourage them to embody that same wisdom so that they will do what is right? I was having a conversation with my father some weeks ago, uh, some of you may already know that a, few, a couple of years ago, my mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And so we're delving into this. I've, I've, as I've faced that as a pastor before and prayed with and gone with, through that issue with, with individuals whose parents got older. This is my first rodeo now, and I've discovered going through it's a whole lot different than pastoring people through it. Mom's doing okay, largely because of dad. He's taking really good care of her. And through some additional medications and some other things, she's kind of leveled off and, and and we're grateful to God for that. But I was talking to him the other day, and, and as a man in his mid-70s now, he's starting to think about the future. And I could tell there was concern in his tone of voice. And I'm like, Dad, what's wrong? And he, he said, he, and finally he just let it loose. And it's a concern that most parents, grandparents have when they're around that age. And health, either mental or physical, starts to break down a little bit. And, and then the medical bills get a little higher than... Maybe you thought they were, and, and I know a lot of older couples who they're, they're, they're really concerned about that. I don't want to end up somewhere where everything I have gets drained dry, 
and I have to give it all to the hospital and the medical professionals, and I have nothing left to give my children. I've heard that so many times from so many. Uh, and and I, some of you are younger right now, and you're, you're like I was when I was in my late 20s, early 30s, and you're like, well, here, here's the plan. Just do this. Just do that. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me in 30 years. Talk to me in 30 years. Everybody gets there. And you really find out how little in your life is really secure. And, and when he finally let that out, I knew what it was. He said, I just, I just want there to be something left that I can give you and your brother. Let me tell you what I said back to my father. I said, Dad, I love Jesus. And my relationship, while not always cons as, as consistent as it could be, is by God's grace a strong relationship. I'm privileged to pastor this phenomenal group of people. I'm in good health. I tend to try to obey the law. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fairly decent citizen. Somehow, I don't know how, I managed to marry way over my head. I've got three children that I love. I'm gainfully employed. And every bit of that comes from your investment in me from the time you brought me home from the hospital 40 some odd years ago. Dad, there's not a check you can write that's, that'll ever be any bigger than that. You've given me my inheritance. I don't need another dime from you. You've given me my inheritance. Listen, parents, that's the most important thing. Whether they take it or not is up to them. They may not all. But are you doing everything you can to make sure you are embodying the wisdom of God and passing it on to them in the power of the Holy Spirit? What are you leaving behind for your kids in this department? My fear is that for some of you, you're not leaving them anything because you don't have anything to leave them because there's no relationship to Jesus. And the scriptures say at this point, you've got a far greater issue to worry with than simply what you're going to leave your kids. You're separated from God by your sin. And the wages for that, the penalty for that, the scriptures say, say, is death. Separation from his love and his mercy for eternity. But that is not God's intention for you. And he sent Christ into this world to live that perfect life that you were absolutely incapable of living and then to die and to take that penalty on himself in your place for your sins. And the first step for you today is not to think about your children's soul, but your own to turn away from your sins, put your faith in Jesus, give him everything, put all of your faith in his death and resurrection, and find eternal life. You will have then found the knowledge of God, which this same book in Proverbs says is the beginning of wisdom. Then you can start building something, not just for yourself, but for your children and your children's children. What are you leaving behind? Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this message and for your wisdom and the wisdom of your word is so deep and profound. You did not leave us alone with no instructions. In this world of mass confusion, you have left us the riches of, of, of your wisdom embodied in a king who's giving advice to his son. Father, may we have the good sense to look over his shoulder and pay very close attention knowing that these words ultimately are not Solomon's, but they are yours. May we raise our children accordingly and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.